HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we're celebrating Julia's birthday and what has become a tradition by sharing some of our favorite Julia moments from the last few seasons. Stay with us to join the party. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. For many, Julia is their number one favorite cook and cooking teacher of all time. This year, on what would have been her 111th birthday on August 15, 2023, We're celebrating by recapping our favorite Julia moments from the last few seasons for this, our 201st episode. You could say these are our number one Julia moments, but all the Julia moments we have collected over more than 200 episodes are unique in their own right. Collectively, they speak to the endurance of Julia's legacy, how she continues to inspire us through the example of who she was, what she believed, and how she shared those values. As in previous episodes celebrating Julia's birthday, a day on which so many continue to pay homage to her memory, we've grouped our Julia moments into a few themes. First up are a series of Julia moments that reflect how Julia inspired our guests as a role model. Our second group of Julia moments speak to Julia as a mentor in the professional food world. We close with a bit of historical perspective, which seems only fitting for our final episode of this season and our weekly show. Sit back, relax, and join our guests' reflections about Julia. We'll be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams of new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? As always, we listen to Julia's immortal words to introduce our Julia moment, some of our favorites from the past year. As loyal listeners know, at the end of every episode of Inside Julia's Kitchen, we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. In our first set of Julia moments, we're highlighting ones which showcase Julia as an inspiring role model. Our first Julia moment comes from episode 191. Chef and restaurateur Serene Bay of Darkar Nola shares how he was inspired by Julia's accessible approach to French food. Serene, what's your Julia moment? Man, you know, early on to when I started researching about uh, this culinary dream, uh, you know, I, I started looking, I started look up on YouTube different chefs that uh, that was, you know, did this TV thing. I mean, I saw a few people, but uh, Julia was definitely a person. She definitely a person that inspired me throughout my career in the sense of like how blunt she was with the food that she was cooking, you know, to have a little bit of, the, you know, with the understand the French cuisine in a, such a, in a way that Everything is like mise en place, need to be perfect. But she has a playful way of cooking French food in a way that even French people themselves didn't look at her any any sort of way as as disrespectful or anything. You know, she she had a very loving approach into it. And then seeing in her personality as she's cooking through these food that has so much layer and um Techniques, but she did it with such a joyful, and I think that right there is, is inspired me so much about Julia Child. That's lovely. And was she even on your radar and still? Me, I, yes. I was guessing yes. when you were you young or in Senegal or not until you came to culinary school in so, the states. To be honest, when I after I graduated culinary school, I um was trying to 
work for a place that was doing anything about West African influence. And the closest that I find was this book uh, by uh, Chef Pia Cham, which is a Senegalese chef that opened a restaurant in Harlem mm. um, called Teranga. And he, his first cookbook was um, nominated or ex-featured in uh, Julia Child cover page and the second cookbook was nominated JBF. But I was like, wow, like, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, to me, I was like, wow. Then I started really looking to, to Julia Child much more deeply, you know, and this was around, I would say about maybe nine, nine years ago, something like that, nine, eight years ago. That's really neat. Uh, uh, that, that, you, that's fascinating, and that it, it connects up with, I, I think, the mission of the foundation to sort of carry on one thing that, that Julia was really passionate about, which was, you know, just shining a spotlight on people that she thought were doing interesting things and that she wanted f- from that spotlight to just spur them on. So um, thank you very much for joining us and sharing that connection. We really appreciate it. I mean, I am humble and honored to to be in this podcast that is paying homage to someone like her. So just to be here, I'm grateful for that. And I hope someone could listen to this through this podcast and feel inspired and want to focus on their dreams. So thank you for allowing me the space for this. Our next Julia moment comes from Rachel Stroer, president of the Land Institute in Salina, Kansas a nonprofit devoted to innovation in regenerative crops. In episode 172, Rachel told us how she was inspired by Julia's dedication to experimentation and her rigorous approach to research. Rachel, what's your Julia moment? Yes, thank you. Um, Well, I am so excited to respond to this question. I think... um, One of my favorite things about Julia is all of the testing um, and inevitable failure that comes along with it, Mm. I think, um, and and, and just this sort of tenacity to um, get it right. Um, There's sort of a scientific quality to Julia's work um, and bringing that to this scientific organization that I now lead is nice to see the crisscross between experimentation in the kitchen and experimentation in the genetics and how success and failure relates to that. Um, but what I think I most like, um, my, my favorite um, Julia quote is about moderation, mm-hmm. small helpings, sampling a little bit of everything. Um, there's a I think that there's a necessity in this perennial future within ecological limits to really um, think about moderation and how much is enough and enjoying the small helpings um, of life. So I appreciate that one as well. Oh, I love those. And I think, yeah, I think she would have been fascinated. I think you're also kind of saying to some of the philosophy from the Land Institute is you're not saying, okay, everyone throw out your commercial or even highly, you know, organic refined flour. You're saying start incorporating this little by little. Like you could look at the moderation point that way, which is you can have currants of flour alongside your regular and use them for different purposes or start combining them. 
like an incremental approach. Yes, and this kind of slow evolution of our recipes from being based on this 10,000-year history of annual grain crops and now evolving in test kitchens and home kitchens all over the world to incorporate these perennial grains as they become available. The next Julia moment from episode 175 explores Julia's love of a good cocktail. As drinks expert Robert Simonson shares the significance of Julia and Paul Child's favorite, reverse martini. Robert, what's your Julia moment? I have only one. I, I'm a kind of a cocktail guy. I think about cocktails, write about cocktails. You actually mentioned it at the top of the show, uh, Julia Child's Upside Down Martini. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I found out about that, I was so surprised and, and shocked. Um, the martini is a battle that's been fought, you know, in the modern cocktail ri- revival for years. Because um, during the post-World War II years, martinis were very, very dry. Um, there was very little vermouth, and there were all kinds of like ways that people tried to avoid vermouth in their martini. And so Julia Child was actually going quite against the grain, the grain of the entire world, by drinking a martini that had more vermouth than uh, gin in it. Um, and it kind of meshed perfectly with the cocktail revival because there was this fight to bring vermouth back to the martini, and one of the most popular martini variations of the last 20 years has been the 50-50 martini, which is half vermouth and half gin. Um, So she's actually even more extreme. It's supposed to be like five to one, right? Yeah, it's it's almost like vermouth with a splash of gin. And of course, at that time, I think, was pre even the idea of a vodka martini. Or does a vodka martini go back? uh, I mean, traditionally, it's gin, right? Yeah. Did she do vodka? No, no, no. I'm saying she would, but I think vodka is so replaced things or mm-hmm. it, it, that people, some people may not be aware that actually that's not traditional, that it is gin. It is gin. Uh, vodka started to become popular in the 50s and 60s uh, with businessmen and it was promoted by ad execs. Uh, and it's still a vodka martini is very popular today. So in a way, uh, you have to view Julia Child as very prescient in, to, um, in terms of martinis. She saw, maybe she saw what was coming because number one, she was still drinking them with gin. And number two, she was drinking them with a lot of vermouth. So she I was, think she, she was w- just drinking what she liked. And, and the yeah. person to give credit to was Paul because ah. I suspect, because Paul, like I said, one of his recipes I, I could see on the handwritten recipe card is dated 1948. So that's really, you know, well before Julia was into culinary school or anything like that. And this was, I think, Paul's passion, and I'm pretty sure he invented this idea, and it must have been some taste he had formed about, I don't know this for sure at all, but that I'm guessing he must have just liked vermouth, or particularly it being French, it kind of fit their 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 taste and discovery in France, I suspect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and as far as I understand it, they used Noli Pratt, is that right? That was their brand, yes. We've had, at the foundation, we get lots of questions about Noli Pratt. And our final Julia is Role Model, Julia Moment, is from episode 186 with Barca Cardoz, who, in the wake of her late husband, Chef Floyd Cardoz's passing, unexpectedly also became a food professional late in life. Barca, what's your Julia Moment? (sighs) I met Julia Child in person at a Rhode Island 
food festival that Floyd was cooking four years ago. Um, I had seen her on TV and, you know, you're completely starstruck by this person that is so real, is amazingly like graceful and kind, but with this big life presence and personality. And I remember standing at this table with Floyd and she had come to visit and, and be a part of the, the event. And I, I was just mesmerized, mesmerized by the fact that I was actually getting to see her in person, but realizing that she was just so, so real. She was just present. She was kind and very interested to know about what, you know, his cuisine was, what, what was being served and stuff like that. When I look back at that now, sitting where I'm sitting um, and much older now, I look at it as, especially for me, that someone that's, I almost want to say I'm coming into my own or I'm doing that growing up at a much later age in my life. I will always remember her from watching her on TV or watching her in person for that little time that I was around her, that she had such a discipline and perseverance to be true to herself and for her love of food. She, she just did it because she felt she, you know, she needed to do it. She believed in it. She knew she had a story to tell and she had a path that she was walking on and a passion that she wanted to share with everybody. So when I falter and when I think about that, it's, it's like people like her that make me realize like, you know, the space above you, the sky above you is just yours. And it doesn't belong to anybody else. And don't worry about what's on the sides, what's around you. If you're passionate and you're true to yourself, you can go ahead no matter where you are in your life. You can go ahead and tell your story. And that's what I'm taking away from her. And I'm thankful that I you know, was lucky enough to meet her. We'll be right back with more Julia moments you don't want to miss. This episode is supported by HRN business member Food Karma Projects, dedicated to community building by creating unique food events that showcase the best local food, chefs, beer, and wine. Get fired up for the return of the 14th annual Pig Island NYC for a full day of fun featuring the region's most celebrated barbecue and pitmasters. The all-inclusive day-long snout-to-tail celebration includes more than 20 chefs, all competing for best in show, best whole hog, and other prizes. Pig Island takes place Saturday, September 9th at the Snug Harbor Cultural Center and Botanical Gardens on Staten Island. To purchase tickets and for more information, visit pigisland.com. Food Karma Project supports HRN's creative educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Welcome back. Today we're celebrating what would have been Julia's 111th birthday alongside completing more than 200 episodes. Something that isn't as front and center in Julia lore is how Julia was a mentor to so many. Julia had a generous spirit, so this came naturally to her. 
an outgrowth of her extroversion and love of learning. Needless to say, it was also inherently meaningful to those who learned from her, whether directly or only by example. In episode 171, acclaimed baker and author Rose Levy Barenbaum shared the personal support she got from Julia, which helped guide her later success. Rose, what's your Julia moment? This was the question I was looking forward to the most because Julia was so much a part of my life. I actually could call her and ask her, well, I'm looking for an agent. What do you think about that? And she said, I've only ever had lawyers. I mean, she was so approachable and so supportive to the food community. But one particular memory stands out, and that's that when I was married at 19, living in Washington Crossing, Pennsylvania, and my like, my former husband was studying at Temple University that was an hour away, and Julia had just started her PBS show. And I would drive with him every week when he would go to his classes and sit in the girls' dorm. Nobody was watching TV. They were doing their work, their homework, getting to watch Julia on television because we couldn't afford a television of our own. And when I would come back, I would try something, one of the recipes. And I remember in particular, there was this mile-high, no-fail cheese souffle with the coulis de tomate. And I made that for dinner. And here is a six-foot New England 23-year-old starving. And after he worked perfectly. And after he he finished eating it, he said, this was wonderful. Now what's for dinner? (laughs) I said, that was, that was dinner. (laughs) Now what more could you want after that? But the best part of the story is that I never in a million years at that point would have thought that I could ever meet Julia Child, let alone be on TV myself. So when the Cake Bible came out, And I came home and the first call, I think, was my mother. And the second was Julia. And she said, I'm so proud of you, dearie. I get the chills remembering that story because that was probably one of the best moments of my entire life. That not only had I met her, but that I was on TV and she was congratulating me for it. And that was like life had come a full circle. And so you were you were on TV doing your own appearance, not appearing with Oh, Julia. sorry. Yes, I, I was on the same show that she made so famous, Good Morning America. But not on with her. It was no. it was a separate appearance when one of was it when one of your other books came out or what were you on GMA for? I was on for the Cake Bible. That was when the Cake Bible first came out. So that was why she had wanted to congratulate me for having that book and for being on the TV show. Sorry if I wasn't clear about that. No, no, no. I was just interested because Julia also did her GMA stuff. But um, uh, I was just interested to know uh, all the details. Well, can I squeak in one little really quick story? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Oh, great. Because, okay, Julia and I and several other people were doing a signing, maybe in Rhode Island, I forget where. And we were each given 50 books. And Julia came over to me. I was still signing. She had long since finished. And she said, you're still signing. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you want to know why? And I said, yes. And she said, well, when people say, oh, Julia, I so love your books. I so love you. I look up and I say, or down because she's so tall. And she said, thank you, dearie. And that was it. She said, whereas you, Rose, when somebody says that to you, you say, let me tell you the story of my life. <laughs> I learned from that. You have, when you, especially when you go on book tour, you have to, and I was giving Erin this advice, you have to hold your energy. You can't just give it all all the time because you just collapse. And, mm. and that's how Julie was able to do what she was. She was warm, she was giving, but she wasn't excessive. Kevin Morse, the founder of Cairnspring Mills, shared in episode 167 
how his childhood memories of Julia continue to influence his commitment to innovation as a miller. Kevin, what's your Julia moment? Wow, you know, my this was a hard one, Todd. There's so many. Um, but I have to tell you, the one my first memory of Julia, and this is an inspirational moment, was uh, when I was growing up with my Italian grandparents, and um, we had a six-aisle grocery store with a deli and a butcher shop in the back. My grandparents were Italian immigrants. Great-grandparents were. And I'll never forget um, when we would be watching the Julie Child show with my grandmother, and she'd say, I wish, I wish someone would do for Italian food what Julie is doing for French food and helping. Uh, and this was her uh, broken English, the Marigans, really explore and discovered what good food is about. And it was from that, those moments in my childhood and, and being able to see what Julia was doing that, you know, I've been trying to replicate the reverence for community and food and bringing people together around food ever since I was a child. And Julia inspired so much of that. Uh, and to this day, I mean, in many ways, um, my path has turned out to be similar. I didn't find my passion or what I think was my calling until my 50s, like Julia. And so when I get tired or challenged and frustrated, I'm like, wow, you know what? Look what Julia did until she was 91. What would Julia do right now? And um, so she continues to be an inspiration today just by what she's brought to the world, by bringing us together around good food, and her fortitude and tenacity and undauntability when it comes to really showing people the blessings and the good fortune we have by having access to local food. Well, I think that's lovely. And I think, as we talked about before, I think Julia would have been very enthusiastic and inspired uh, by what you're doing. And of course, would have wanted you immediately to send her a bag of flowers so she could start testing it and see see how it compared to what she remembered eating from, maybe even from her childhood in California. I hope so. I, I was talking to Julie Cohen yesterday, and I found it interesting that she told me how when Julia started trying to uh, write and bake her bed, bread recipes, that um, she couldn't make the United States made flour work. You know, at that time, it was probably bromated, bleached, and had all kind of additives in it as well. But uh, my guess is Julia was baking with flowers in France that were milled and sourced in a similar way we do here at Cairn Spring today. So she's planted some seeds here that have flourished and will continue to grow. At the 2023 Taste of Santa Barbara, we heard from pastry chef Sandra Aduzelli in episode 195, which we recorded live at the Santa Barbara Saturday Farmer's Market. Sandra, who is British, became familiar with Julia when asked to tackle Julia's Ren de Saba recipe in London. Sandra shares how much more that lesson resonates now that she lives in Julia's hometown of Santa Barbara. Do you have a Julia moment for us, Sandra? I actually do. And so you're right. I did not grow up knowing a lot about Julia Child. And it's amazing how the internet has completely transformed our, the way we receive information. Because, And actually, my Julia Child moment is I was working my last restaurant before we moved to Santa Barbara, a restaurant called Le Café Anglais in Bayswater. And the chef was Roly Lee, who is a very esteemed chef in the UK. 
And I was his pastry chef and I'd had a very tough interview to get the job. And the first day, day one, we, we built the restaurant from scratch. So I was part of the opening team. And day one, he gives me some papers because he, here are some of the things I want you to make. And I was a bit bristly about that because I'm the pastry chef. I don't. You should I be get to choose what we do on the menu. But obviously, you know, he's a very respected chef. And so I was like, okay, yes, chef. And one of the recipes was Rain de Saba. I'd never heard of it. And I'd never heard of Julia Child. I'm almost embarrassed to say, but this also was in the, well, early 2000s. And I think we were just about had internet, perhaps. I can't even remember. It feels like it was also always part of our lives. But at some point, there was a time I remember it didn't exist. And I feel like I went home and did a Google search to find out who she was. And all this information came up. And I was like, wow, okay, she's got quite the body of work. And I really, I had, I'd never heard of her. And so we met, I made this dessert. And Chef Roly Lee has some very particular ways of how he wanted it served. And so the first time I made it, I didn't do it right. And he told me so. And I was like, okay. I went back. You know, one of the things about me, if I don't have to do something, I will go back and I will find a way to make it right. We did it again. And when you covered it with the chocolate and I just was like, oh my gosh. And then we served it with some creme fraiche as a dessert. And it was a very simple presentation. Big white plate, beautiful slice, perfect slice of this Randy Saba with a beautiful quenelle of creme fraiche. And I just was like, wow this is amazing. It's so moist. It's so flavorsome. I think we actually swapped out the almonds for hazelnuts and we did a little riff on that. And it actually became one of my most favorite things to make. And I'm so glad that I kept my bristling opinions to myself. <laughs> wow. And yeah, just maybe just for those who haven't had a Renda Saba, it's kind of a Julia's signature thing, but she didn't invent it. It's very traditionally French. And it's it's not exactly a flourless chocolate cake, but it's close to it, it's right? Very, it's almost gluten-free. I mean, Randy Saba translates as the Queen of Sheba, and it's a very rich, dense chocolate cake that almost, it has almost like a brownie consistency, I would say. And it has some um, ground almonds folded in. And I believe, I have not made it, but actually I made it last year, but I believe you fold in some egg white to keep it light. And then it's cooked. It quite, there's quite a cooking technique to it. And it's actually, it, it's easy to mess up because I think it seems so simple. And that was my first mistake. I underestimated how simple it was. And I tried to do, I was too chefy with it. And at some point I had to dial down the chefy and just be like, okay, and, and it's just very, it's very sublime and you have like a chocolate coating over it. And basically it's really rich. And so the creme fraiche just helps cut the richness of the chocolate and it's just delicious. Because it's only about four or five ingredients, right? To yes, it's it. a very simple cake actually, but it's oh, one of my favorites actually. I might go home and make one now. Our last mentor-related Julia moment reflects the good humor and respect Julia engendered in her relationships with chefs. It comes from acclaimed chef Eric Repair of New York's top Le Bernardin restaurant. In episode 170, Eric shared one of his favorite memories cooking for Julia. Eric, what's your Julia moment? So my Julia moment is very interesting. Um, Julia was coming to Le Bernardin, I wouldn't say very often, but when she was in New York. And um, she was a fan of Le Bernardin, and uh, I was a young chef at the time, and I was afraid of Julia because I, did, I came in America without speaking a word of English. So my English was very limited. And when I started at Le Bernardin, my English was a bit better, but my understanding was limited. 
And to me, Julia was sounding, and I don't want to be disrespectful because, of course, I, I love Julia and, and I, I admire what she has accomplished for us. But Julia, when she was speaking to me, was basically like, when she was speaking English. And I was like, oh my God, what did she say to me? <laughs> I would be always like so frightened. Anyway, one day she comes and um, I created um, a salad. I remember it was a, an exotic salad with seared tuna, but barely seared um, and very, very rare, although not raw, warm. And uh, it was a new dishes. So I was happy to serve it to Julia. And at the end, she asked for me to go to the table. So I went. And of course, I was terrorized already <laughs> of not understanding what she would say. <laughs> so I understood Eric. And then she basically thanked me for the great dinner or great lunch. It was a lunch. She said, thank you for the great lunch. And I understood that. And then I understood also what she said after that. She said, it would have been very, very nice if you didn't forget to cook the tuna. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I stayed in front of Julia. I smiled. I said, thank you. And I didn't want to go into the explanation that I thought uh, tuna rare is very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was uh, a funny moment. We'll be right back with the final Julia moment connecting Julia's professional priorities to the Foundation's mission today. Tickets to the gala presentation of the Julia Child Award to Chef Sean Sherman on October 24, 2023 at the Depot in Minneapolis will be available soon on juliachildaward.com. Proceeds from the gala benefit the Smithsonian Food History Project, Make sure you're following the foundation at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram for the latest updates. I'm at T. Shulkin on Instagram and threads. Having crossed the 200-episode milestone, we will be moving from weekly drops to shorter flights from time to time. While we may not be in your feed as frequently, make sure to stay subscribed and follow us on social to be the first to hear about new episodes. Get in touch, send us an email or voice memo to contact at toyachildfoundation.org and let us know what you think about today's show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Our final Julia moment is from one of the foundation's trustees, Alex Prudhomme, who is Julia's grandnephew, a journalist, and an author. Alex spoke to us with Chef Bill Yosis in episode 188 about Alex's most recent book, Dinner with the President, which covers the history of food diplomacy and state dinners at the White House. In this Julia moment, Alex highlights Julia's advocacy for preserving American culinary heritage. Now, Alex, you're, you're one of our rare repeat guests, so you get to do a second official Julia moment. Go for it. Well, going back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, one of the inspirations for this book was Julia at the White House. Uh, when she went in 1967, uh, the guest was Prime Minister Sato of Japan, very important ally. 
Um, this was the first time cameras had been allowed in the White House kitchen. Uh, Chef Henry Holler uh, produced this wonderful meal. Um, and Tony Bennett was the performer that night, and he kind of ripped off his jacket and uh, belted out his hits. And at the end of this somewhat tense negotiation, this dinner was kind of a great celebration of the alliance between the U.S. and Japan. You know, not that many years after the Second World War uh, and during the Vietnam War, which was a, it was a very tense period. And, and Julia notes in her voiceover that, you know, here they are, you know, these two world leaders at a horrible time in history, getting to know each other as real human beings, not just as kind of stand-ins for their nation. And it was a, it was a great moment. And then when she did it again uh, nine years later with Gerald Ford hosting uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip at the Bicentennial of 1976, you know, this was this really important event. Um, the Fords had uh, built a beautiful white tent over the Rose Garden. Um, again, Chef Holler was producing a delicious meal. Uh, everything was choreographed to the last second. Um, but right before the event was to start, a violent rainstorm swept off the Potomac and, and just soaked everybody and washed off the, uh, the knocked down the TV cameras. And <laughs> it was a, kind of a, a mini disaster, but they regrouped and the show went on. Um, Bob Hope's jokes were kind of lame and uh, when the Queen was dancing with Gerald Ford, the Marine band, band kind of unintentionally uh, was playing The Lady is a Tramp. Um, <laughs> and the camera work was bad. And so it was kind of a, uh, you know, a, a collection of, of many disasters. Um, and Julia was grumpy because she was in the back room and not able to taste Holler's food or to have any wine. And um, uh, so she was kind of grumpy. And then but things kind of lightened up because uh, the entertainer that night was the captain and Tennille warbling about muskrat love. And <laughs> Julia said, well, that's not very queenly. <laughs> so, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, as you mentioned, she and her, her producer, Ruthie Lockwood, sell, said they, they just felt very lucky to be in the presence of the queen at the White House. And so uh, the, my takeaway from this was that she was just you know, Julia was actually a, a real history nerd and, and was pa proudly patriotic and mm -hmm. was very inspired by these visits to the White House. And so she took it upon herself to promote White House food uh, and Chef Holler. Um, she wrote articles encouraging uh, future administrations to highlight regional cuisines. You know, when the Carters succeeded uh, the Fords, uh, she, she recommended that they really highlight their Georgia cooking, which they did, and the Reagans, you know, with their California wine and, and so on. And so she, she encouraged Americans, American presidents to treat food the way that the French do, um, that, as something to be celebrated and to, to use it as a form of soft power diplomacy. Um, and she said, you know, we've really got to emphasize the good news about the good food at the White House. And, um, you know, that was just so Julia and it, and it, and it, and it helped to inspire me and, 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 and this book. The good news about the good food at the White House. I love that. Thanks for joining us to celebrate Julia's 111th birthday with our favorite Julia moments from the last year. The Julia Child, A Recipe for Life interactive exhibition continues at the Henry Ford Museum of American Innovation in Dearborn, Michigan. It runs all summer until just after Labor Day. 
You can join Julia and Paul's meal at La Caron or step into Julia's shoes behind the camera on the set of The French Chef. For tickets and more information, visit thehenryford.org and click on Current Events. For the latest events from the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience, including the 2024 Taste of Santa Barbara, make sure you're also following at SB Culinary Experience on Instagram, and you can join our mailing list on sbce.events. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at GBH. Thanks to my co-producer at the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Armin Spengen. Our theme song, New French Horn, by Novi Valtorni. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. That's a wrap for our final weekly episode. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.